0: We've all had to adjust to life with COVID-19. Our school systems have had to adapt with creative and innovative approaches. In each episode, we'll explore a different facet of how Hancock County Public Schools have adapted to meet our students' needs. Record it like that. I'm here with Ashley Gorman, principal at Hancock County High School. Ms. Gorman, would you mind to tell the listeners a little bit about your educational background and Uh, The jobs you've held here at Hancock County Public Schools.
1: I started out here as an English teacher in 2005, and I did that for 12 years. And then I moved into my current position as principal and have been here four years.
0: So the focus of this podcast series is the impact of COVID-19 on Hancock County Public Schools. How has that impacted your job as principal at Hancock County High School?
1: So when we knew that we, were gonna, that we were going to have to close or that it was potential that we were going to have to close, we knew that our focus was going to have to shift from instruction to more of a public health and safety focus. So we actually began meeting as a district leadership team to decide what that would look like and what that was going to look like at each school before we knew we were going to have to close So we had a plan in place before we actually had to do that about what it would look like and what our focus would be. So essentially, we shifted from getting ready for certifications and um, graduation and all the things that come up in the spring to shift to a focus on making sure that all of our students had what they needed to be at home whether that was food, access to mental health care, work they could do without having access to us, everything else we've been working on kind of had to take a back seat.
0: What were some of the biggest challenges that you faced initially and then as this has gone on longer um, that have presented themselves
1: From my position, the biggest challenge all along has been communication with all of our parents and students. I think we like to think that with technology, everybody's always on technology. So we can send out emails and 90% of our kids and parents get our emails or that we can use our calling systems and that everybody gets that message. or. I think sometimes we have a misconception in a rural area that everyone is on some platform of our social media and we can get information out that way. But that's just not the case. So we have had to work really hard at lots of different ways to communicate. We've gone back to mailings. All the staff were calling all of our students every single week by phone and getting students cell phone numbers and many of them using their cell phones to do that. We have used our social media and our email systems, but we've had to really expand the number of ways we communicate information and the number of times we have to communicate information to get that out to people. That probably has been the consistent challenge across everything. I think for teachers, as we went, it became harder to get students to interact because as the students got tired, they kind of wanted to let go of what they needed to be doing to stay in touch with us. So I I think that's probably communication, too. But I also think our effort with communication was probably also the best thing we did. It was just the hardest thing to pull off.
0: Um, What would you say are the more innovative things that Hancock County High School has done to address things we weren't able to, that we would normally do, that we weren't able to do, such as graduation and the drive-through for our seniors and sports. Uh, would you care to discuss just some of the innovative things that we had to do to adapt to the situation?
1: I can. I mean, we're pretty biased about that, <laughs> about that but... The the first thing that I think was innovative about what we did is that everybody was willing to jump on board and give kids a different instructional experience. So that's probably our biggest accomplishment, that our kids at the high school level probably had more authentic things to do while they were at home from every single teacher than maybe we've ever seen us do collectively I don't even know that we'll understand the impact of that until we get kids back with us and can really talk to them about it. But, I mean, we were, we were doing things like having kids join us on Zoom and just playing games, playing word games for English and doing things like that that students weren't able to do and making those kinds of connections that you don't get to make every day in the classroom. All the way down to students getting credit for helping their younger siblings who they were responsible for with their work. Um and that's really innovative, I think, particularly for high school, because we really had to think outside of the box and get creative. And we had to do it pretty quickly. Like, we had a really fast turnaround for that. But as far as events, we can't take a whole lot of credit for any of the events we put on because we took we took what the kids asked us to do and just executed it. So we we started doing lives on social media with our students the very first week and we started asking them if we don't get to do things like we would normally get to do what do you want to do and we promised them we would do something the night of the night of original graduation that we wouldn't change that because that was already in their calendar they brought back that they wanted to do things they had seen on social media so we just went about executing the things they wanted to do so we had the spring sports parade and lit up our spring sports venues and let people drive through and honk at them and wave at them and do all of those things and that was really cool because we had about 125 people go through at spring sports you don't get 125 people for senior nights at spring sports anywhere because there's so much going on so those kids got probably more recognition than they would have typically received just for their area and then with what we did to celebrate their graduation with the parade, um, it was definitely the longest graduation event on record here. Um, but I think the kids really enjoyed it, and it was really, really student centered. Uh, we've talked about that a lot this week. It wasn't traditional. There weren't you know almost three thousand people here in one space. You didn't you know you didn't have the band playing and all those very ceremonial things. But I think they felt like it was a celebration of them, and I think they enjoyed it. And I think given the circumstance, it was a good community event because the people who were working on it with us did a really good job of helping us pull it off. But those were all things that the kids asked for.
0: I was really impressed with the number of uh, community members that turned out. Just just going through the parade, the the people that were lined up on Highway 60 at different spots mm-hmm. and uh, through Haswell and Lewisport. Um, it was, it was much better turnout than, than what I was anticipating. So I was, I was really impressed with our community's uh, effort with that. Um, going back to what you were talking about with authentic lesson plans and uh, the, the materials that we covered and the assignments, I know what the English department did because I was involved in um, some of those Zoom meetings and uh, the planning of some of those projects. Can you talk about what maybe the math or science or some of the other departments did if they did anything that was much different or uh, unique?
1: So one thing that stood one thing that stood out in our career and tech ed department is we had all we gave parameters. The school leadership gave parameters of what it needed to look like. And we said, we want to give kids choice boards so they have some choice in what they're doing, but it's really simple. it's all on one page. That helps us in a rural area with some of our internet infrastructure issues at kids' homes. So as we got further into doing that, one of our teachers who had given a choice board for kids to do needed another set of work to finish up for the school year and actually had students create a choice board that could be used later. So that was really cool because... That was all student-driven. It took something we were doing instructionally and flipped it, and the kids created it. And I think there were some really good outcomes for that. And it was even different than what the kids had been doing. In math, they did something pretty cool. The whole math department used one choice board, no matter what level the kids were on. And everything on the choice board was worth a certain number of points. And you just had to accumulate 50 points a week by doing those things. And they had things on there, like you could do a genius project, like learn something that you don't know how to do and send us a few videos of you learning how to do that. They had things on there, like um, fill out your parents' taxes and they could zoom with um, a teacher and he taught them how to do that on zoom and they helped their parents file their taxes. They, they were allowed to like reorganize things in their house for their parents while their parents were at work. So things that were skill building while they were at home and you couldn't necessarily on, focus on learning a lot of new complex procedural content, but our approach to that was different because a lot of, once, once districts knew it was going to be more than two weeks that we were out, a lot of districts flipped and decided to try to continue learning. We knew we couldn't do that because our technology gaps in kids' homes were too great, that learning gaps would only increase that way. So we chose to just try to reinforce and let kids kind of soak in the experience. And I still think that was the right thing to do. Moving forward, if we have to do it again, we're obviously not gonna be able to do it that way. But in this circumstance, when it was new and a little bit scary for kids and adults, I think we really did the right thing by doing that because our, our percentages of kids who stayed engaged with us was really, really high.
0: I, I would agree. Um, I think that it was very beneficial uh, for, our, for our students just from the interactions that I had with them um, with the English department um, and with the special ed students I work with. I, I think that I think that our approach was definitely um, very constructive for them. So looking ahead to the fall and beyond, how do you think this experience is going to impact education overall? Hancock County Public Schools, the high school, um, even after, not just in the immediate future, but looking ahead long-term after COVID-19 is over, what do you think the impact will be?
1: I think everybody right now is focused on logistics. Like, how do we do it in the fall? But I think once you get past figuring out how we do this in the fall or if we do this in the fall, and all the questions none of us can answer, I think we have an opportunity to continue to do things differently if our kids responded to more authentic tasks like that how can how can we do that and still move them forward instructionally where you have the best of both worlds i think we're going to be in a situation where if ever there was a time or a reason to make high school look like we all talk about wanting it to look all the time this gives us that opportunity because when you flip things this much for people, they're more open to change out of necessity. So, and I don't, and I don't mean our staff, I mean our parents, our kids. Yeah. If, if we had all tried to give every single kid in the high school choice boards in March with nothing else going on and sell that as an instructional concept, that probably wouldn't have gone over super well. But because you had people in a time of uncertainty, and that was really consistent, and it made it simple for kids and for parents, and then their kids did it, and they weren't fighting with them about doing it for the most part, you opened a door to what that might be able to look like. So I know that I'm not on our remote learning team, but I know that our remote learning team is talking about whether we have to do something vastly different in the fall or not. How can this impact our instruction in a positive way? And not just by things being more on Google Classroom, because we know we have to have a platform if kids can't be here. But what does it look like? Can you, can you do more things like we did and say, okay, no matter what grade level a kid is on or what class they're in as a freshman, they have this independent study, and it's going to pull in all their core and their electives, and they're going to show us what they, what they want to show us that's that's always been kind of a hard sell, even though we all know it's the right thing to do. That's not going to be a hard sell anymore. Kids are going to want to do those things. Parents see that there's more bang for your buck and kids doing that kind of thing at home instead of 20, 25 practice problems that frustrate the kid and frustrate the frustrate the parent and the dog and everybody <laughs> else. So I think we're going to have opportunities if we just keep keep our heads down and keep looking at that kind of work. What that can what that can look like, whether they're all with us in a classroom, and that's part of what we do at the end of every unit, if it's what their homework becomes, if it's options kids have for enrichment when they finish work and we're working in stations or small groups, like now we know we can do it, and we know our kids can do it, and so if we just keep moving forward that direction instead of kind of letting that rubber band come back and immediately yep. going back to what was at first comfortable... I think we have a lot of room to make a lot of headway with those kinds of things, which I think ultimately will make the environment better. But I don't think that's just a high school thing. I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see that in schools everywhere. And I think you're going to see it in grade levels everywhere. Because I think we all learned that we got a lot better from kids and more consistently from kids when it wasn't what they were used to sitting in the classroom. So everybody, no matter what you thought about it before, everybody in the whole district, but essentially everybody in the whole nation has had has had the opportunity to think about that and reflect on it and change the conversation. And really a little see bit. what it looks like. In and practice. see and see what it looks like and see lots of examples of it. So I think if we just keep working toward that, I don't think we're I don't think you're gonna see like a 180 in education. In August, but I think you'll see more foundational change than we probably have seen in a while. And on the on the high school side, we're gonna have to wait and see what people like the College Board and major chains of universities like how much of that's gonna change for our kids and how much of that change is gonna stick. Like a lot of us have tried to follow that pretty closely. Um, so if those kinds of things are gonna change, that opens a lot of doors too, because you're not going to be sort of handcuffed to some of those things, or at least not for the immediate future. So, but we're just going to have to keep watching that kind of stuff because it's another, it's a wait and see kind of thing, too.
0: So going along with that, because this is a novel situation, um, we've really had to make some drastic changes. Do you think KDE is going to be open to continuing with those like the our alternating days, if we, for example, if we have to go to that, um, I think that could be incredibly beneficial for our students who want to do internships or that have to help their family uh, financially. Um, it, it gives them much more flexibility. It's, it's like a college schedule almost. Do you think KDE, have they given any indication that once this situation has passed that they're going to be open? to that kind of flexibility or uh, do you think it's really going to be uh, the burden's going to be on high schools to try to still fit within the constraints of the traditional model while trying to be innovative?
1: I don't I think a lot of us probably want to ask those questions right now but we're not because everybody's so in the moment of what does it look like to get through the rest of this. So everything that we're asking KDE and they're responding to right now is, when does school start in the fall? What are the guidelines that it starts under? How do we do that? Where Where's the guidance for that? Where's the black yeah. and white guidance for that? In the back of most of our minds as we're listening to those conversations, we want to ask those questions, but you, but you can't yet because you can't get past the The immediate stuff. Now, in the immediate stuff, there's not a whole lot of black and white guidance because you can't yet. I mean, it wouldn't be responsible to give anybody black and white guidance right now. But they keep coming back to the word flexibility. So at least in the short term, everybody's going to have a lot of flexibility to do school the way school is going to work for your kids and your community. So that's promising. Because if something works and you can show that it works and you have evidence of it, that's going to open the door to conversations moving forward when everybody feels like they have some equilibrium back. But right now it's like, we're going to help you and we're going to give you lots of flexibility to do what you need to do because that's kind of the way to get everybody through it to the other side of how do we reopen school. I think those conversations about, you know, people have always had to apply for waivers to, you know, have waivers of innovation with Carnegie units and credits and all those kinds of things. I think somebody will start that conversation down the road. Nobody right now is going to be <laughs> the person in those uh, webcasts to start that conversation because you can't you can't get into those weeds right now when you don't know how you're going to put the right, enough kids on a bus to get everybody to school.
0: Well, what you're planning to do may change. And yes. to change. Yeah. So, Well, I... I just think that the idea or the the fact that we uh essentially every high school or at the very least every district in the state is their own laboratory for what works right Mm -hmm. now Uh, i think that's hopefully that will continue uh after after this is over so in in closing i've asked this question with everyone else that i've interviewed um what do you think is the most positive or or are the most positive things that have resulted from this situation or that will result from this situation?
1: I think the most positive thing that happened when it started was as a high school, we made more than 400 contacts with our kids every single week. So our goal was to talk to every single one of our students Every week. Of course, people don't answer the phone, but our average was four hundred of our kids every week. So in a high school setting. Eighty yes. percent. At least eighty percent. So of our we students. were we were having an individual teacher to student conversation, whether it was short or lengthy or whatever, with eighty percent of our kids every single week, or with their home every single week while they weren't here. I think that alone probably taught us more than maybe we've learned in the last five years because that's always really hard in high school. Kids tend to be more closed off. They don't really want you talking to their parents. Parents want them to be more independent. So that two-way communication is less. But we had the ability and everybody, even if they were a little bit leery of it at first, like is this too much, gained a lot from it. And we caught a lot of things with kids that we were able to intervene with and keep up with, so that was the most positive thing. That all of a sudden we had all kinds of communication going on between teachers and homes about things that weren't necessarily about instruction, like how are you, how are your parents, like how much are you working, what do you need help with. Um,
0: I know the students that I that I spoke to, the majority of them. Well, they genuinely appreciated the fact that, that I was calling. I and mean, you could just tell from the tone in their voice, they're kind of surprised that first phone call that they yeah. got that somebody was calling them. Yeah. So
1: it was also the most time consuming and the hardest thing we did because for us, it's a, it's a lot harder to do that and be persistent in trying to make those connections and get kids to talk to you on the phone or get parents to talk to you on the phone than it is to plan and send out instruction and give kids feedback through Google Classroom. So it had the most struggle, but it was the best thing we did. As a district, I think the best thing we did was the way we set up communication with each other as leadership, but also how we shifted, how how everybody communicated across the district. I mean, our staff started getting videos from our superintendent about here's what's going on this week, here's why. We were really... We set everything up pretty regularly among all of our staffs. Like our staff was meeting every week on a certain day. The elementary school staffs were, and like everybody was kind of getting the same information in real time. And I think that's something probably everybody has kind of wanted or craved for a long time, but there was never a circumstance that demanded it. Well, now that there's been a circumstance that's demanded it, now we have a good habit that we can carry carry forward. So I think those things were really positive and things that we can carry forward no matter what, I don't think it will be nearly as big of a deal to make contacts with homes and families in the fall. If you do three or four a week compared to, we were trying to get 30, 40 kids on the phone every single week during a time when we didn't even know where everybody was. So I think we developed a habit that we can continue. And I've gotten the most feedback about that Also, like I had some kids, we call them for schedule and say, well, so-and-so and 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 so-and-so already called me this week. I'm like, I know I'm calling about your schedule. (laughs) I know you're okay because they told me, but I'm calling you about their schedule. So even if they, even the ones that felt a little bit hounded by us, like we were looking over their shoulder, appreciated that contact. And I don't know that we realized until this how much our kids relied on us for that type of interaction. We talk about it a lot, but I don't know if we believed it like we believe it now. So I would say that's probably the most positive thing.
0: Well, thank you for uh, this interview and uh, good luck as, as we move forward.